Welcome to PageCast at Kingsmead College Book Fair, proudly brought to you by Jonathan Ball Publishers. I'm Nicola and I'm joined now by Johan Stein to chat about the future of AI on writing skills and content creation. How can we use it? How will it impact our career? Johan Stein is a human-centered artificial intelligence advocate and a thought leader. Hi, Johan. Thanks so much for joining me on PageCast. Thank you. I look forward to this. You're at this year's festival chatting about the future of AI on writing and those skills and content creation. Now, how can we use it and how will it impact our careers? Mm. As we know, AI is, has infused our lives, uh, more than electricity even. Most people use it every day, especially if you have an, a smartphone and without even knowing it. And since November last year with this blast of news around ChatGPT, I think it's really come front and center for a lot of people who were never really aware of it. And we are all debating how should we use it, to what extent can it do, what humans can do, how do we balance human ingenuity and creativity creativity with all of these AI tools. My ethos is, and it's with my nine-year-old son, it's the same. I encourage him to use technology, to use the smart speaker in our lounge to ask questions, to use the right kind of apps on his iPad. I think we should teach our children to embrace this tech, but to do it responsibly. They need to be streetwise around it. You know, there's a lot of sexual predatory threats around, especially with AI these days. And does it make our kids dumber? That's a big question. But does Google make us dumb? That's a great book that was written <laughs> once. But I would say around content creation, let it work for you. It'll never replace you. You still have to read what GPT and other tools are creating, but use it to your benefit. I think it's it's that balance. And hopefully a lot of secondary, especially tertiary education is not just blocking it, but really investigating how to use it. Because this ship is going down the river. You're either on it or you're not. Yeah. You've got to jump on board. Otherwise you're going to be left behind. Yep. How do you use AI in your everyday life? Yeah. Well, obviously on my phone, my iPhone, so, you know, Waze and or Google products, etc. But for the work that I do, I do use ChatGPT and GPT-4 a lot around ideas for public speaking events, for the articles that I write for Business Day every week. But I use it in a limited way because in my head, I have a passionate topic I want to write about. Uh, so I don't just sit there and out of the blue ask the AI to give me an idea. I already have something I want to write about, but maybe the structure of the article, maybe just helping me a bit with that scene setting first a paragraph, it'll help me. And then I run my business through mostly the Google products around automating events with customers and so forth, podcasts and the like. So yeah, I do, I think just from a running a business point of view, automating certain business processes, bank account, your invoicing and so forth, it's really very helpful. Anything that's document-based, anything that's repetitive, especially your back office administrative tasks, so easily automatable. But I use it a lot for my content creation and for ideas around teaching a certain audience. Mm. It's interesting because a lot of people think, oh, 2022 came around and then AI took over. <laughs> but it's been around us and entrenched in our lives for so much longer. Mm. I mean, just your mention of Google Maps or Waze, mm. that's AI and no one's realized that we've been using it for 10, 15 years. Absolutely. Yeah. Look, AI was coined the, the phrase about 60 or so years ago. And I do think it's a maybe it's a misnomer of sorts. It should actually be called non-human intelligence, or as one of my mentors, Dr. Jacques Ludic, call it um, the smart technology era, because artificial and intelligence doesn't really make a lot of sense. What is it? And sadly, Hollywood has given us a lot of wrong impressions in some of the popular media, you know, killer robots, robots walking down the aisle, taking yeah. my job, etc. And I often tell people, you know, I mean, it's exponentially growing technology. It's the 
most powerful technology we've ever created, but it's not nearly as powerful yet as a lot of people think it is. Mm. You know, so it's it's really changing that mindset. What I do with a lot of my corporate clients is I try to get them to stop fearing it because otherwise you won't embrace it. When you actually realize how weak it still is, because we are talking about weak AI these days. Now, when we will get to artificial general intelligence is a interesting topic, five years, 10 years and so forth, where it essentially becomes smarter than humans, faster, what everything we do. But for now, that balance between what only humans can do, think of empathy, think of creativity. You know, I often say if you take a blank piece of paper and you just scribble something wildly, there's a good statistical chance that that exact thing that you've just drawn has never been done before. Our ability to see something in the future that doesn't exist yet, which is why we paint, write music, start businesses. You can't AI that, but AI can help you once you have that idea. But it has infused our lives. It's even more prevalent at the moment. The challenge here is around the lack of a regulatory framework in our country and most of the world. And how do we all, and especially large businesses, use it responsibly? That is a big topic at the moment. A large part of it is time saving. And I think what people don't realize is you can easily identify when something has not been written by you, you know, when it's just been purely chat GPT written. And it's about, like you said, adding that human element into that and kind of using those tools to assist you. No, absolutely. And it's interesting, universities that I work with at the moment, obviously, it's a big a topic around plagiarism. And most plagiarism tools are still very ineffective with picking up uh, AI-generated content. But what in some universities are doing now are there are some platforms that you can use where you look at the students, say, last year's worth of submissions to pick up the nuances and their own writing style. And then you can take every new submission and compare it. Because if there's a significant change in nuance and word use and writing style, it's a good chance that it's been plagiarized. So that's interesting. It's interesting you say that because I was reading a piece that I wrote to my partner the other day and he said, you never say more over. ChatGPT says more over. (laughs) It's got some interesting phrases. It'll often say, so in conclusion, (laughs) or more over, or however, there's some very clear ChatGPT phrases that you can identify quickly. That you need to realize that that they are identifiable. (laughs) Exactly. Back to writing. Um, Obviously, we're at a book festival, a lot of conversation going on surrounding, you know, what does the literary world look like going forward? If I could say... Hi, ChatGPT, I want to write a 500-word or 500-page book around the sky. It would be able to spit something like that out. How do we see that landscape changing? Mm. It's obviously very topical. Mm. So when you say, I want to write a book about the sky, it's going to give you a lot of very basic kind of prompts and ideas. But the question for an author is, what is your view about the sky? So it could be an African view. It could be the fact that our sky is so blue, that we're the rainbow nation. You can talk about you might have grown up in a rural area under the blue sky. The blue sky reminded you of space, etc. So ChatGPT can't do that. It could maybe give you a suggested format of the book, which could be somewhat helpful. So when I write articles and I ask it for some ideas, I would say about 60% of the ideas I typically would use. Some of it I just discard because it doesn't make sense. It doesn't align to my lens of where I want to write from. Can it write a 500-page book? Technology can do that. It'll most likely be exceptionally boring without human um, involvement. So what I want, and and think of art, if you think of a, a painting, and I love going to art galleries because me and my friend and my partner will look at that painting and we will all have different interpretations of it. What I think makes art, for that matter, writing powerful is that I can ingest myself, if you would, into that story. And it's a story that's alive to me because of that author's view. Can AI do that at this stage? Mm -hmm. I very much doubt that. Mm -hmm. 
Definitely not. And context is so important also when writing. In your experience, what are some of those practical ways, again, that we could streamline these processes, especially in content creation? Mm -hmm. So again, idea generation, it's all about prompting. And and remember that OpenAI's tools, ChatGPT or or GTP4, are just two of a plerotha of um, tools out there. There are tools specific to, uh, say, text-to-image or image-to-text, etc. There are most likely more than 400 generative pre-trained model tools out there already. Most of them are free. One of the great uses is ingesting massive amounts of documents and getting a summary and so forth. So, especially if you do research for your book, whether it's fiction or non-fiction, you can, for instance, take somebody else's book, and now there's an ethical question around that, or you can take some research articles about the blue sky uh, in South Africa and say, give me... 10 main points about this document. So it, it'll help you maybe with those initial, let's call it the the skeleton, building the skeleton, but putting in the meat is, is what only you can do. AI oh, can't do that. Mm-hmm. Helping you with the submission for a book, potentially writing the intro or the back cover of the book, some of those summary kind of uh, tasks, it's fairly good at. But people have to play around with these tools to experience its limitations for themselves and also to see what works for them or not. But again, it's back to the prompting. And if I can maybe just say something on that. So what I typically do, my prompts will be about a paragraph long. So prompt is when you in chat GPT say, tell me more about the blue sky in South Africa, for instance. If you use the word expert, it will give you a much more elaborate view. So say, write an expert article or write a 600-word expert article. So tell it how long. It doesn't always do 600 words. Tell it what is the intent, who's the audience. So write this expert 600-word article for high school children in rural areas in Africa based on, and then you start, and and then you say, uh, remember to include this topic, that topic, that topic. So the more detail you give it, the more surprised you will be at how elaborate it will kind of spread out the detail that you want. And then you can obviously ask it to redo certain things. So it'll maybe say, here are the four points on this topic and say, okay, elaborate point four, etc. The other thing to play with, especially in our country, is how accurate it is with different languages. I, being Afrikaans, I will often ask it an Afrikaans question or a question in Afrikaans. It gives me a factually and grammatically correct answer. And then I use Google Translate and I often do this when I demo it and I say, <laughs> do it and it's a Zulu or Tosa, or I say in Arabic or Hebrew, then it writes from right to left or in Chinese. And then I test it in Google Translate. It is incredible. So firstly, don't fear it. Know it's limited or the, its limitations and start playing with it mm. because it's free. You mentioned you have a nine-year-old. Mm. How does raising a nine-year-old look? And you know, it's fairly different to when you were nine Absolutely. getting raised. Yeah. yeah, I think there's a lot of things to be concerned about because when I grew up, I always say you have to fall out of a tree at least once in your life to to say I've grown up. I find that, you know, him and his generation, there's a lot of iPads and PlayStation kind of games. And those things are not necessarily bad. It helps with your motor skills. Uh, my son has a lot of engineering kind of games on his iPad to build buildings and stuff. I think that's very good. I think as a parent, I just need to make sure that I regulate it. Um, there are a lot of nice tools you can download on your children's devices to limit FaceTime, uh, to limit content they can access or not. And I think we should never be asleep at the wheel. And I'll, I'll give you an example now. So we've got a Google Home device and I encourage him, and I know this is going to sound bad, but I encourage him to cheat on his homework because the, the things children learn in school are very repetitive, rote, nonsense mind. Yeah, we don't teach them to think. We teach them to memorize certain dates and facts. And then by the time you've written your little test, you forget about it. So if he says, hey, Google, how do I spell chameleon? 
I encourage him because I'd rather him be digitally fit than remember stupid facts that he will never use in his life. But what happened one day, I was sitting in my study and I could hear in the living room where the speaker is and he's now chatting away with this thing. A few years ago, he, had, he has this Lego app where you can ask the speaker based on the app connected to your smartphone for, he says, tell me a farming story. And then you've got farming little lego blocks and then it sings songs it's a really nice tool yeah. but one day and it was in lockdown this app or this voice started asking him personally identifiable questions and the psychology is that children will trust a robot or robot voice a lot more than just a strange adult now, if a stranger walks past him in the street and say, where do you live and what's your daddy's name? He will most likely run away, yeah. as he should. But this AI started uh, asking him, what is his name? What is his daddy's name? Where about do you guys live? Et cetera, et cetera. I did a backflip over my desk yeah. to switch that thing off, and we deleted that app. You know, and if you read in the, the press, in that time of lockdown, sexual predators increased about 300%. So the point that I'm making is don't. The two extremes is either no technology for your kids, they must just climb trees, or we outsource parenthood to, to technology so we don't have to spend time with them. There's a middle ground. Let them use technology, but be involved as a parent. Go onto their browsing history. Make sure it's limited and the like. But I think children should embrace it and not fear it, but they should just be street smart. And it's parents' responsibilities mm. to do that. Definitely. Meet them in the middle. Encourage yeah. it, but also just guide them through it as well and make sure what's going down. Yeah. <laughs> I have to ask, do you say please and thank you to ChatGPT? <laughs> Sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> I find myself going, good morning. <laughs> yeah. There are some nice apps for children that if they, like with voice prompt, unless they ask, please, the thing won't answer them, oh, which is quite nice. Yeah. you know. But no, I haven't. And I've given ChatGPT some very frustrating responses back. And then it's very <laughs> kind in telling me, please don't speak to me like that. <laughs> so it's very nice. <laughs> oh, that's phenomenal. Thank you so much for joining me. Really, really enjoyed it. It's been a great pleasure. Thank you. Have a fantastic Kingsley. Thank you. Great.